Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, fellow EV lovers, closeted or uncloseted alike. It's time to put your brain into drive mode. Find yourself some open road and glide silently down the information highway with us in another episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here he is now, the man who needs no introduction. Was my pause too long? <laughs> it is funny, isn't it? Someone says they need no introduction and then they introduce them anyway. My other favourite is when someone says, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matthew Dickerson. And then you want them to follow up with, but for those of you who do know me, my name is Mr. Ma- Jekyll. <laughs> <All right. laughs> or something else. But I'm but still Matthew Dickerson. That's right. It seems like a funny thing to say, isn't it? Those yeah, of you who yeah, don't yeah. know me, it's, well, well, hold on. Do we have to distinguish the audience between those who do and don't know me? But we're off track already, James. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. How's your week been? Yeah, yeah, good. Really good. And it's interesting that you bring up EVs as part of your intro. I'm always intrigued about where the intro is going to go and what's going to happen with it because this week we had April Fool's Day and I always like to have a little bit of fun on April Fool's Day. Not be too serious about it all. It's still okay to have a bit of a laugh at ourselves. So I did propose a new concept for our city here with EVs, involving EVs. I had the idea that we should have tolls for people to enter our CBD, but only for those driving ice. So only for those driving an internal combustion engine vehicle, be it diesel, be it petrol. And we've talked before about some technology in Hong Kong where you can actually detect tailpipe emissions. So the idea was you build a gantry on the entrances to the CBD. If it detects tailpipe emissions, then your e-tag in your vehicle gets triggered and you pay a small fee to enter the CBD. If you're driving an EV, of course, it's free. Happy yeah, days. happy days, right? So the idea was to promote a nicer environment in the CBD, not having to breathe those fumes, not hearing those loud cars, make it a much more attractive environment. It's an April Fool's Day. So I put it out the day before. <laughs> and as a wind-up, it wound them up. It wound them up. I put it out the day before. I had a media release with an embargo for the 1st of April. The construction time frame was 104 days to construct the gantries that were needed. Which seems with like, little hints. Yeah. yeah, it seems like an unusual time. The expert I was quoting was an anagram of April Fool's Day. So if you were picked up on that, but whew, did I cop it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so people were you've just very, got to let that run, though. Oh, too, you do. You, you yeah, do. People yeah, were yeah, very yeah. wound up about the idea of, oh, who can afford? If you say anything there, then that's just going <laughs> to... That's right. If you can afford an EV, then this is really bad. I'm not going to come and shop in your city anymore and all sorts of oh, things. And, yeah. and I just let it flow. And then finally, my favourite comment actually was someone who was very vitriolic in their response. And someone else said, have you checked the calendar? And the person came back and said, yeah, it's Friday. So what? <laughs> 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 so I apologise for anyone that was slightly offended by what I did, but you still got to have some fun. You still got to be able to poke fun at yourself, right. society, whatever. But rest assured, no, there is no proposal to introduce a eat or a non-EV tax into the CBD of any cities that I know of at the moment. But eh, who knows? Uh, maybe down yeah. the track, yeah, it could happen. <laughs> sowed the seed of an idea there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I've been trouble again. No, Give it's it not. Years it's at not least. proposed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. As I look over the specials board today, I see that we've got a change in menu for the Academy Awards as they move away from the meat and three veg that's been their standard for so many years now. We've got a tasty dish for those of you with a golfing problem and a peek inside Vladimir Putin's armoured car for dessert, just to round things off today. And so with a whole banquet of stories for you to chow down on, we're going to go on with uh, a plate of veggies 
as this story is loaded with Brussels sprouts. It's the latest update from the scammers file. We're now all hopefully quite vigilant about how we look out for dodgy numbers and, and those suspicious inbox text messages that land on our phones every now and then. But look out, folks. The next dodgy message to arrive just might have come from yourself. Matt, have we now crossed the line and entered into the realm of the just plain ridiculous in the world of scammery? Before we go there, what's wrong with Brussels sprouts? You're giving Brussels sprouts a hard time now. I only use that reference because it's a common dislike, but um, I actually love them too in the butter sauce. Yeah, yeah, put enough other stuff on them, but it's okay. <laughs> but now you're right. Sorry, back to the topic again. The whole concept about getting some of these spam messages, trying to trick you into handing over your identity, your money, whatever it might be, you get to build up this little database on your phone of these various numbers that you see. And I actually have a little habit when I see those ones come in. I just call them Dojo 1, Dojo 2. I'm mm. up to about Dojo 500 at the moment. Yeah. I can't remember where I'm up to, but you just keep adding Dojo something so that you see it come in. Oh, there's another one of those Dojo ones. But it's a bit of a problem when you see your own number come up yeah. in a text message and you think, hold on, I know that number. That's, oh, I better not block that number. And the real trick here is that some people are very good at reporting numbers to maybe the ACMA or maybe their carrier and say, here's another one of those dodgy numbers that keeps sending me spam messages because you don't want to do that to your own number because then when you send out a text message, it's blocked by the carrier or by some other process there. And so this is the latest little trick that the scammers have got now to try and trick you because when you see your own number come up, you recognise that instantly. It all makes sense. It's a number that is recognisable and makes sense to you. So well, I'll take that call. I'll respond to that text, whatever it might be. But it's your own number. Now, it's actually so, fairly so simple. Me, is it just to cause like the inconvenience of, of being of you know, being reported, having your number reported? Is that it? Well, it's really just to stop you reporting it because you oh. don't want to report your own number because oh, yeah, then obviously yeah, that would cause all now. sorts of problems for your normal usage. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's quite easy, and we've talked about it before, to spoof another number. So you can make a text message or make a phone call come from really whatever number you want. So you can spoof numbers relatively simply, especially text messages. You can spoof numbers very, very easily. But then what they're doing now is when they're sending a message to mobile number 123456, they're making it come from 123456. So as soon as you see it, it's recognisable. It all makes sense. Well, I better respond to that message because I know that number or it's my own number or mm. I don't want to block it. Whole range of things there, but it's just the next iteration in the steps that scammers will go through to try and trick you into responding to the mm. message or not blocking that message. So again, I say it time and time again, they're so clever in what they mm. do, but stop it, please. It's yeah, so frustrating. Creative more than clever, I would say. It's just, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, you're right. And Verizon in America were particularly hard hit by it. Now, there's no indication that there was any leak of any phone numbers from any one particular carrier. I think they just started using Verizon numbers for whatever reason and started doing those first, but it'll happen to every carrier because the spoofing process is not carrier dependent. So it doesn't matter who you're with, they can spoof that number quite easily. So just keep an eye out for that and just be vigilant with the messages that you get and really double check it. And especially those ones we talked about last week where it must just might be four words. So something really simple to grab your attention, mm. have a look at this. Have you seen this video? Just something short and sharp and oh, wow, I better look at that. And I trust that number that it came from. So it should be okay, shouldn't it? 
So now I can't trust anyone else's number that I know. Is that what you're telling me? You can't trust your own number. You can't trust your friends' numbers. You can't trust any number. So that's where you just have to be so vigilant and really look at the content of that. And I suppose one of the things is when you click on a link there, the clicking on the link sometimes will do damage, but normally that part's okay. It's normally then the next step where they say, oh, you need to put in your details to complete mm. the step. And that's when they really get you because then you type in details about whatever site you might be accessing, including your password. And then they say, thank you very much. Yeah, I think I'm going back to the old landline with the rotary dial <laughs> and uh, snail mail and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think it's that's interesting you talk about snail mail because spoofing in snail mail can happen as well. Because if I send you oh, a letter... Oh, yeah, we received a letter from the uh, Ugandan prince or whatever, Nigerian prince. That's right, because when I send a letter, I put your address on the front and on the back, I can put a Ugandan prince. I can put the Pope. I can put whoever I want on the back of that letter. And you get the letter and you go, oh, it's addressed to me. And you turn it over. Oh, look at that. I've got a letter from the Ugandan prince <laughs> at the moment or a Ugandan prince or whatever, because there's no check that that piece of physical mail came from that address either. Yeah, at least opening the envelope, though, isn't going to like give <laughs> no. personal details to the rest of the world. No, no, you're probably right. So it's a little <laughs> bit safer from that perspective. But but effectively, spoofing has been going on for a long it time. It has been. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on now to talk a little bit more about the world of miscreants and lowlifes, the ones beyond annoying and those, those costly scams. I guess that I'd expect the leader of one of these cyber criminal syndicates to, to be some slimy Hollywood caricature, a 30-something in a tracksuit with cold, dead eyes, some bloke who gave up way too early on earning an honest living and decided to start scavenging on the digitally naive with a festering swarm of amoral keyboard cockroaches under him just harvesting people's data. But this is 2022, people, and, well, kids grow up fast these days. Reframe that visual image, folks. Matt, the latest multi-million dollar cyber criminal is a pimply-faced adolescent. Am I right? 16 years of age. Now, when parents tell me, lots of parents do tell me, their kids are really good on computers and they play lots of games on their computers, that's kind of normal. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what this particular father, he was interviewed by the BBC, and he said, He's never talked about hacking, which you probably wouldn't do to your parents, would you? <laughs> Just off to do a bit of hacking before bed. But he's never talked about hacking, he said. But he did say, this is the dad talking, that he's very good on computers and spends lots of time on his computer, and I just thought he was playing games. Well, no. Coding's a big thing these days. It is. So this 16-year-old had amassed $14 million in a bank account. Good wow. good little advertisement here for keeping track on your kids' bank accounts just to be able to see them at least to see what's <laughs> happening there. I like to keep an eye on my kids' bank accounts to see if they've got enough money to actually get them through the weekend. But I'd $40 probably, million dollars will get you there. That's, yeah. that's, that's a good weekend, isn't it? But I'd probably be a bit concerned as well if I saw $14 million in one of my kids' yeah. bank accounts and going, what have you been up to lately? <laughs> good investments you've got there. That Bitcoin investment really going well for you. So it's mm. not just this one 16-year-old kid, though. City of London Police said that they had seven people between the ages of 16 and 21, and they've been arrested in connection with the investigation into a hacking group. So it wasn't just this one 16-year-old. This was a hacking group. So uh. one individual, 14 million, but amongst a lot of them, there were tens of millions of dollars they'd amassed in their hacking activities. So that you're right. A swarm of cockroaches. Well, that's, that's exactly it. And we sometimes have these images, exactly as you say, of this huge business where you've got all these hackers sitting there and they're probably mm. in their middle ages rather than in their 16s rather than teenagers. But teenagers probably go, hold mm. on, I'm pretty good with computers. I could do that. 
And I suppose the teenage mind doesn't really have the development to go, there might be consequences for what I'm doing. <laughs> I might just have a bit of a crack at this and see if I can As a 16-year-old, I seem to remember being quite invincible as well. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Invincible. And, and I just don't and think unaccountable. you're Unaccountable. That's exactly it. You don't really realise what your actions, the consequences of those actions. So you have a bit of fun, you mm. take a bit of money with some people, you've got 40 million bucks, that should get me through uni, mm. that's all good. So it is quite scary to think just how many. So this particular group is called lapsus dollar sign. don't know if they call it lapsus or whatever, but it's lapsus dollar sign is the group. And again, when people, and I've actually heard of that group, and at no point did I think, oh, yeah, that must be a 16-year-old heading up that little <laughs> hacking group there. But that's where we're at at the moment. People are seeing some huge attraction in getting some money. And, and they've maybe made their money out of extortion, effectively, saying to people, I've just taken over your computers at work. I'm going to mm. corrupt all your data or I've locked it all down. Please give me some money. And they've obviously been very good at it. I'm not sure if that's the right term, but it's actually quite fascinating how much money they've generated in a fairly short period of time. And he is so grounded now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no Xbox privileges at all. No, I think I think the dad's saying we might just try and keep him off computers. Well, he might be kept off computers if he ends up in juvenile justice. I don't think they'll have too many computers oh, there for them. Yeah. This is the corner for the hackers that are in juvenile justice. He'll have we a little have Nintendo Game & Watch from 1984 that he'll be able to play and that'll be well, if he's any good, he might be able to do something with that as yeah, well. Okay. So keep him away. Give him good old-fashioned card games, board games, that sort of thing, I think. So, yeah, anyway, quite fascinating who's out there and what they're doing. Mm. Now let's flick over to the Oscars, folks. And a promise that this is only going to be about the best pictures and talent and none of that other rubbish. It was a remarkable year for the uh, Academy uh, with a whole bag full of firsts. And in what some would, re- would regard as a very big deal, the best picture in 2022 went to a film from a streaming device. Oh, well, streaming device, streaming service, I should say. Matthew, is this the big- beginning of the end for big cinema? Well, Steven Spielberg is very disappointed. He actually said previously that Netflix films, and this is when it was only really Netflix that was in the competition, Netflix films shouldn't be eligible for Oscars because they were akin to TV movies. so It's like those ones that went straight to DVD, you know, yeah, or straight to right. video, straight to VHS. Back straight to video, you are going back now, straight <laughs> to VHS. So we've had Netflix, we've had Amazon, obviously, and now we've had Apple TV+. And they've been sniffing around a bit, but in the past, in particular, Best Picture mm. has never been picked up by any of those streaming services. So Hollywood heavyweights, the Steven Spielbergs of the world, were still there. They were winning movies or winning awards with real movies in Mm. real picture theatres with at least 10 people watching them. So the streaming services have been there and they've been wanting to win something desperately. Netflix, it must be fair to to be said, have been desperate to legitimise themselves by saying, we want best picture. We we want to win the Oscar for best picture. So they've been there for a long time. Well, Spielberg and company, they've got their little closed club there that they make big movies. Yep. And they, you know... They want to market them on the big screen. Yeah. And now that's about to change. I think it has. And I, I think after the Oscars this year, everything is different. Now, The Power of the Dog, which was a Netflix film, was talked about as a possibility for Best Picture. But, of course, then along came Coda, an Apple TV Plus streaming movie, and it won Best Picture. Mm. And so suddenly, when you had a Netflix movie being talked about, then an Apple TV Plus winning the Best Picture... All the Hollywood heavyweights are going, oh, wow, 
Maybe the streaming <laughs> service, maybe this whole concept is actually here to stay. Maybe it's a little flash in the pan. Yeah. Maybe we better take this seriously. And the budgets they put towards these movies are not little tin pan budgets. No. They're serious budgets. They're putting them. Apple TV Plus does not just go along and say, we'll just get a couple of guys from around the corner and see if they can throw a movie together. They go to the festivals. They try and buy the movies they see at festivals, people are offering out their services. So they're spending serious dollars. They are serious production companies now in their own right. You might think of the, the Warner Brothers and the 20th Century Fox, those big heavyweights, but these guys are becoming big heavyweights very quickly and they've got mm. guaranteed income. They've got guaranteed subscribers. So you might think they could be a little bit lazy about it because you don't have to sell tickets at the cinemas at the cinema, yeah. to get people to come along and watch. But obviously, people can change streaming providers very quickly. I'm actually watching my one I had to subscribe to Disney Plus recently because the one about Elizabeth Holmes, the miniseries or oh, yeah, the, the yeah. streaming TV series about Elizabeth Holmes, I was quite fascinated to watch that and get a bit of an insight into that. But of course, that wasn't on Netflix or Stan or Foxtel Go or any of the other ones there. So I had to subscribe to a new service <laughs> in Disney Plus to be able to get that one. So this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to provide content that's individual, that's unique to their streaming service so that you want to subscribe to their service. So the competition's hot there, not about watching that individual movie, but about watching all of their gambit of movies. Well, this is a really interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because if you want to watch just one thing, you're not buying a movie ticket for it and no. just helping yourself to the cinema. you You've got to buy a subscription to that that that, that streaming service. So that's, that's right. On the good side, it changes the dynamic of everything. Then. It does, but on the good side, that one ticket that you would have paid for to go and watch one movie is probably about the cost of a month worth of streaming oh, yeah. service. So yeah, yeah. you're getting a fair but then bit of money. If you don't want to keep watching, it, you've got to go and cancel that streaming service. And they're hoping or you do don't. you just hold on to it and wait for something else good to come along? You yeah, know? And, and it's always the free trial, isn't it? Start off with a one month or a three month free trial, and they're hoping that you do that for the one month or three months, and then forget about it or yeah. there's a few good shows here I'll keep watching those so end up away you go and keep watching just them just let it roll but I guarantee out of it I haven't got any data to back this up so this is me speculating here but I would absolutely be certain it's true from Coda winning I guarantee that Apple would have seen an increase in subscriptions to Apple TV Plus because people mm. would have said wow Best Picture won the Oscar for Best Picture I better go and see that so the only way you can see it is to subscribe to Apple TV+. Plus. So I'm pretty certain they would have actually got some subscribers out of that. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, very interesting change in the dynamic there. Golfers can be a needy lot. The desperation in some people to destroy what would otherwise be a nice walk in the park has some people going to extremes, teeing off in the dark with luminescent balls or queuing up just to belt bucket loads of balls from multi-storey driving ranges or surrendering lunch breaks to pitch and putt down office corridors. Any chance to swing a club is never wasted. Matt, as I understand, there's now a chance for addicts to feed the beast even more with a golf simulator suitable for literally anywhere, anytime. And realistic. That's the big thing. I remember playing Wii Golf many years ago, and they mm -hmm. had the little tiny controllers there, and it was nothing like a golf stick. So you could play. You could be a hopeless golfer in the real world, but mm. you could just swing it just right, and you'd get realistically uh, realistic effects on your screen, and you could kind of play golf even if you were hopeless at it. There's a new golf simulator out now that uses a club that's weighted like a club. Now, it's not every club in your bag, so it's probably more like about a four iron, but it's weighted like a club. But what you actually see on screen is very similar to what happens because it's got sensors throughout the club. It's actually got a, a flex in the actual club stick, the same as a normal club would have. Right. So you can sit there. As long as you've got enough room around you to swing the club, 
Hooking so corridor, the office corridor might not be the place. But uh, just height the big issue. Okay. As, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. as you follow through, you might have enough room around you, but the, the roof or the ceiling, you know, <laughs> you follow through and then you end up with a club stuck Major. in the ceiling. It's oh, actually a little yeah. bit shorter, just slightly shorter than a club, so you can probably allow for a little bit of that. But, yeah, if you can get a full swing in, you can then watch the effects on the screen, including if you've got a slight drawer or fader, in my case about a 90-degree slice, you know, it'll take into account <laughs> All of that because it's got sensors throughout the entire club. So you actually get a realistic feel of how you are playing. So it was designed during lockdown. Unfortunately, with lots of things that were designed during lockdown, they're only really getting to the point where they're perfecting them now. So mm. we come out of lockdown, but we'll have all these great things next time we go into lockdown, next time a <laughs> pandemic comes along. But at the moment, if you really want to practice your golf, this is a sort of golf simulator that you could actually use to practice your golf and actually translate that to out on the golf course. Not sure how it goes with divots in the carpet. Um, hopefully <laughs> it doesn't do too much damage to your carpet there. But we are getting so much better at simulators. You look at Formula One drivers, they spend a lot of time in simulators because it's cheaper than running a real car, a lot of time in simulators to get used to new tracks. So when there's mm. a new track that might be on the circuit, they'll spend hours and hours and hours in that simulator then they know the times they should be able to get on the track when they finally get on the track, and they're incredibly accurate. We're talking, you know, obviously thousands of seconds they talk about in Formula 1, but they're talking about the times they get on the track are within, say, half a second as to what they could get in simulators because things are so accurate in there. So when you're playing St Andrews, for example, mm -hmm. and um, you keep dropping it in the sand or whatever, you then start belting up bits of furniture around your, your <laughs> I think lounge so. room. That'd be reasonable, wouldn't it? <laughs> and uh, you get a similar result, but with more damage to your own personal property. Yeah, that's right. You, know, you maybe put a, a cushion there to just get that feel of uh, slowing down into the, the sand and maybe just make sure your partner in the house isn't anywhere nearby to see what yeah. you're doing to the cushions. When, when but the frustration gets hold of you. Yeah, yeah, so it's probably always not quite the same as the real world, but if you're trying to practice your golf, this might be a better way to do it than trying to get out to all those golf courses. Two-dimensional photographs are so last century. What even is a snapshot now if you can't move it around with some 3D depth and perspective? 2D photographs, yeah, they're headed for the museum, people, right next to the daguerreotypes of the Victorian age. As graphic processing company NVIDIA shows us how we can take our snapshots and create a 3D environment from them. Matt, strolling through a photo album of memories may just about become a bit more literal, yeah? Well, normally you'd have to have some special equipment to create a 3D photo, and you'd have to spend a fair bit of time doing it. Real estate agents, for example, are very good. They've got specialised equipment. They'll go for a walk through a house and give you this really great 3D version of it. Again, Taking to a virtual tour, yeah? Yeah, virtual tour, and that was very effective during the pandemic when people were trying to look at housing. They mightn't be able to visit the house, or there might have restrictions on how you could visit the house. So that was really effective. And I looked at some of the technology that was being used there, and I thought it was fantastic. But again... You didn't just go and grab your camera and take a few snapshots and it was all okay. You had to buy some specialised equipment, which a real estate agent could justify because they were doing lots of that, but just for some family snapshots, not so much. Well, NVIDIA now has got some AI they've built into one of their tools. It's called NERF, N-E-R-F. And basically they take, or instant NERF they call it, so basically you take a couple of dozen photos of a scene. So you take a photo, you and I are sitting here, someone mm. takes a few photos of front of us, behind us, just a few different snapshots, feed it into Nerf, and they've got, get ready for it, a neural radiance field, of <laughs> course. That's where the Nerf comes from, NRF. And basically from that, they build up a 3D image of the scene. So you take normal 2D photos, feed them into wow. Nerf, 
And what comes out of it is a 3D image. So then you can move around and look at that image in its full 3D-ness, which wow. just sounds fascinating. And this is what you can start to do when you get computers more powerful and then AI more powerful. And obviously it will track certain components of that. So it'll take someone's head and then another shot of it, another shot of it as it moves around. And it will realize that it's the same head and then it's just building up a 3D image. So it's building up the components between that. And I had a look at some of the examples they gave and you looked at, let's say, a couple of dozen photos, individual photos. And then when you use the 3D turnaround of that, you went, wow, it looks like almost someone sat there with a movie camera and took photo or or did a a movie scene around as they moved around. So it's incredibly smooth. And they stitched together all of that, obviously using some pretty powerful computing technology, but it just sounds fantastic. And we see live photos, for example, when cameras, when mobile phones came out with the cameras on them with live photo, Harry Potter had live photos effectively (laughs) when you saw some of the little photos that you saw in in little shots that were on Harry Potter. And obviously someone said, you know what, we could do that. And so they started doing that in a camera. So that was great. So we get this little one second or so snapshot around a photo, which was fantastic. But again, this is the same sort of concept where, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we just took a few 2D shots and turned them into 3D and people laughed at someone. And then finally someone said, you know what, we've got enough power and we've got enough technology in terms of AI technology to actually turn that into reality now. So keep an eye out for that. Excuse the pun there. Keep an eye out for that. You'll see this sort of technology where you'll be able to just feed it in. It might be something that will be an app. There might be something that will be a website you'll be able to do it with. There might be some subscription service. But NVIDIA is taking advantage of all their knowledge and all their background in graphics power and saying, let's take advantage of this. And so you'll be able to do this yourself with your own little snapshots, take enough shots, and that'll be it. You'll turn into a 3D image. And the family photo album becomes uh, a real immersive experience. Immersive experience Combine the live photo with the 3D, which isn't there yet, but surely it's got to be coming. Well, it's just like a movie, isn't it? So you just open your, your family <laughs> photo album, there's little mini movies in there. So it does sound fantastic. When I was reading through this next story, I thought, here's a sweet little juxtaposition. It's like a slice of Amish life brought about by some modern technology. Folks, when you reject modern technology, your alarm clock has to be the sun. I assume that's how the Amish wake up, though I've got zero personal experience. Uh, the risk of offending uh, the Amish on this par- uh, podcast has got to be pretty low anyway, so we'll just <laughs> continue on. You can now buy light systems, folks, for your home that, wait for it, simulate the sunrise and the sunset. Matt, this is somehow better than just leaving the curtains open? Well, it'll be okay if you left the curtains open and the sun came in exactly when you needed to get up every day. And we've just had the end of daylight saving, of course. And daylight saving is a big issue. When you change seasons with daylight saving, either going forward or going backwards, depending which part of the world you're in and which hemisphere and whether you're going forward and backwards, summer or winter, etc., the increase in fatal car crashes goes up by 6% in the week following a daylight saving change. Just because our body clock is suddenly thrown out, you get more pedestrian injuries, more workplace injuries, strokes and heart attacks go up. Goodness me. All these terrible things happen because we've suddenly changed our sleep cycle. So getting our sleep right is obviously incredibly important. Now, if we go back to caveman, it was pretty simple. The sun came up, you got up, up, you did stuff, and the sun went down, I guess we just go to sleep now. So you had your body in sync with the sun. Obviously now it would be very rare to find someone that has their body in sync with the sun and their work life, their work day was just synced to that. Again, given the fact that we've got summer, we've got winter, different hours, a whole range of different jobs, different start times, etc. So most of us years ago started off with that 
terrible alarm bell on a alarm clock or just the blamp, blamp, blamp <laughs> of a digital alarm clock. And now we've gotten a little bit better than that. I know I use my watch to wake me up, so it just does some slight vibrations on my wrist and then starts to make a bit of noise. And then finally, if I haven't woken up after all that, it starts to make some loud noise. But it tries to gently bring you out. But sunrise alarm clocks, this is where it's all at, James. You've got to get yourself a sunrise alarm clock. This is the latest technology in waking you up in a natural, unnatural way. (laughs) So the idea here is exactly as the name suggests – these are alarm clocks that have lights in them. And so you set the alarm for 7 a.m., for example. And then at 7 a.m., it just starts to bring a little bit of light in. Now, they might be at different temperatures. So it might start off at, say, 2,000 Kelvin as the, as the light temperature to simulate that light just coming up on the horizon, like the sunrise. And then it slowly gets brighter, goes through 3,500 Kelvin, and then gets up to 5,500, which is basically the, the sort of temperature of sun in the middle of the day. And it does that over several minutes. So while you're laying there in your blissful sleep, your body says, oh, that might be the sun just coming up. Might be time for me to get up. The caveman in me says, it's time to go up because the sun's getting up and away I go. Now you can also do the reverse. When you go to bed, you can actually turn it into reverse mode where you have the bright sun inside your bedroom and you say, I'm going to sleep now. And then over the next few minutes, maybe 10 minutes, it'll just slowly go from that bright sunshine down to that low sunset and then finally go to complete darkness in your room. So I haven't got one yet, but when I read the story about all the latest versions, there are probably 20 different ones I looked at, whole range of different options on them, different versions, and I went, I've got to try one of these. This this just sounds too good to be true. (laughs) Not sure how well it goes with your partner sleeping beside you because if they don't have to get up at the same time, it's pretty hard to have a watch on your hand. You can wake up just you, but the whole room bathed in light. But hold on. NASA have got some technology they use for their astronauts. Oh, they'd have to, wouldn't they? They do. And so you can actually buy a nice little mask. So one of my daughters uses a mask to sleep with, so that's great. She puts a mask on, goes to bed, complete blackness all night. But you can buy a mask that actually does that, but then in the morning just starts to introduce a bit of light in front of your eyes in the mask. So you could have your partner sleeping beside you on a completely different time to wake up, but the mask on your face just wakes you up at just the Shining right level. sunlight directly into your <laughs> eyeball. <right>. <laughs> Get I up! Did, I did think about that. You open up and you go, oh, I'm blinded! <laughs> but it's a, it's a really fascinating Well, this concept. is so much more than what I did think because I thought, oh, can't you just leave your blinds open and, um, and let the morning sun come in? But then if you don't want to wake up with the actual time of the sun, then yeah. you've got to alter your day. Yeah, that's a, a bit of a problem. So, sorry, I can't come to work today because, well, I'm coming to work at this particular time because the sun's coming up at this particular time and that's when I have to get up and then you go home as well and say sorry I've got to knock off work because the sun's going down at 5 o'clock I've got to be in bed before the sun goes down this lets you simulate all of that and hopefully keep your body somewhat in sync with the fake sun rather than the real sun I wonder if it has um, positive implications for shift workers I think anyone that has to work outside of normal operations or anyone I think just to try and get your body tricked into thinking that it's responding to the sun rather than responding to some loud noise now for those who would be worried that they mightn't wake up with the sun, even the sun blaring through in, in, as if it was the middle of the day. They do still make a noise at the end of all that. If you haven't gotten up and turned off, <laughs> it still can make a loud noise and jolt you out of sleep anyway. Sounds like the, the thudding of a big farmer's boots coming down the corridor. <laughs> That's what you need, isn't it? Felt the hell out of you. Get out of bed. <laughs> now, Samsung's frame TV is changing the traditional decor of the house. For the past 60 years, a television has been a fairly standard piece of furniture in most homes. 
Samsung is now working to play this image down and be something very different. Matt, how is Samsung mixing it up in the modern lounge room? Well, they've got a new frame. I've actually got one of the old frames, the last year's model of the frame, and I love it. I think it's a fantastic concept. I want to put more around my house. Uh, It's interesting that you say an old model, and it's last year's. (laughs) It's so ancient now. It's so yesterday. (laughs) And the new model has got two new features. And I'll talk about the frame a little bit first before I go into the new model. So the frame is a TV. So you hang it on your wall, and it looks like a frame, as in a picture that you've got framed there. So what they've done is they've made it very thin, no big deal there, lots of TVs are very thin, but they've made the mounting on it, so it mounts directly against the wall, very clever mounting behind there, just like if you had a portrait, a painting, a picture that you were hanging on the wall. Then you can dress up the edge with different decorative trim to match your house and make it look like it's someone putting a photo in there or a painting in there and they framed it up. And then what they've got is this really clever bit of technology because lots of TVs you see that are really thin have usually got a part of the TV that's thicker because they need to fit all the technology. And sure, they can make the the screen really thin, that's great, but the technology to actually make it all work has to be somewhere. So what they've got is a thing called one clear cable. So coming out of the TV is a cable and it's clear. So they weren't very creative with the name, one clear cable, and there's only one of them. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And it runs down to a box that you can put five metres, ten metres away somewhere else, put it up in your ceiling, put it behind your wall, wherever you want to put it. The idea there is that all the technology to run the TV is in the box so they can make the frame a bit thinner to hang on your wall. Now, they've actually got this really cool little concept where they've got an easel, just like you would put a painting on an easel, and they run the one clear cable down the back side of one of the legs of the easel so you can run that along and then tuck that away on your floor or somewhere. And so you actually have it sitting there and it just looks like... For all intents and purposes, it's an artwork. It's an artwork there. And the cool part is you can actually put artworks from famous artists on there. You can subscribe to have lots of the paintings by Picasso or any, you know, have the Mona Lisa there if you want, whatever you want in terms (laughs) of fantastic artworks or there's other ones that are free that may not be quite as famous. But again, someone just walks in, oh, that's a lovely painting there. That's a lovely Rembrandt you've got there. Yeah, exactly right. Or what I do sometimes actually just have some photos of the kids there and I'm a bit conscious about using power, so the first thing I thought of was, hold on, I don't want my TV running all the time just to be able to see a picture of my kids on the wall there, but it's very clever. Rather than use a normal refresh rate, because it is a TV as well, you can run it as a TV, but rather than use a normal refresh rate, 50 hertz or 100 hertz, for example, to keep refreshing that screen on a regular basis because it's got moving pictures on there, it very cleverly says you're not really going to be refreshing this picture very often because it's not going to change. So it reduces the refresh rate dramatically to save on power. So you're not using much power just having it sitting there. It's also got little sensors in there. When you walk in front of it, it turns on. When you walk away, five minutes later, it turns off. So it's got all sorts of things built into all of that. So that's all cool. Again, I've got mine hanging on my wall in the kitchen. Occasionally, we might turn it on if you're cooking dinner or something and watch a bit of TV on there. But in general, it's sitting there with some beautiful artworks on there. And and so that's all very well and good while you're looking at sort of something in landscape. But what happens? when you've got someone's portrait or something you want to put up? So the new features on the new model, the this year's model, two new features. One, they've made the display more anti-glare. So the one that I've got, for example, it's pretty good. It's pretty dull when you look at it so that it doesn't have a reflective surface because paintings don't normally have a very <laughs> reflective surface, surface. So it's a little bit better from that. So they've made the display even better. But then they've also built in this concept that if you want to turn it around to portrait, they've made the mounting so you can do that. And then the TV goes, oh, look at that. I'm in portrait mode. Just like you might turn your tablet around or your phone around in portrait or landscape mode, it's clever enough then to say, oh, 
I'm in portrait mode now. I'll redisplay what's here in a portrait mode. So rather than having to turn your head at 90 degrees to see what's (laughs) going on, you can actually just see what's there in portrait mode. So I can see these sort of things being used in commercial situations when people are trying to display things. I see a lot of cafes, for example, now have menus up on their wall of what their latest menus are. And they're probably using a fair bit of power because they're running normal TVs there. But again, the menu's not changing or refreshing that often it might change every couple of minutes as it turns over to new screens but it's not changing often enough this could be really good and in between those menus it might have some nice pictures of the food coming up for example because you can feed your own pictures into there obviously it's Mm. it's designed to be able to handle subscription services or other services but then i think just that whole concept of this being able to be used for pictures around the house because i've got paintings in my house but i get sick of seeing that same painting on that wall that I've had there for years, but I'm not going to take it away because I paid so much money for it. I want to keep that same picture there. Whereas now, for a few dollars a month, I can have all the latest artworks by all the latest artists. And it just go. sounds fantastic. So it is a really good concept. I love the idea of it. And I love the way they've built it to really simulate that whole experience of a painting on the wall. And the whole idea of the big TV in your lounge room has just changed. Exactly right. And I think more so in the lounge room, again, if I can convince my wife one day, I'll probably have them down the hallway. I'll probably replace some of our other paintings and artworks around the house and just have five or six of these around the house. What yeah. a great concept. We talk quite a bit about technology borrowing from nature. And now it's time for the humble cephalopods of the deep blue ocean to share their inspirational gifts with coffee lovers the world over. But how are squid and cuttlefish able to take or keep my takeaway coffee cup from getting cold? We do talk about it a bit, don't we? Where we do look at nature and we steal, well, not you and I personally, but we as a society steals these really clever concepts from nature and then says, how can we use them in other ways? Now, Thank you, evolution. It's exactly right. Now, I didn't actually realise that a squid changes its colour by stretching its skin out. So as it stretches its skin, it basically varies the amount of reflection, for example, that light hits on it and then changes the colour of squid. Obviously, it's trying to camouflage itself. Now, chameleons do something a bit different. I'm I'm not familiar with how a chameleon changes its colour. I have no idea either. But I'm sure it's not by stretching out its skin in different ways. There might be some different pigments it uses, for example, but there's a, a bit of research for our listeners to do and then tell us what we've gotten wrong about that. So this whole concept of stretching out your skin, scientists looked at that and went, you know what, maybe we could do something with that, with temperature control. So they looked at copper plates embedded in elastic polymer. Yeah, why not? Why why wouldn't you think of that, James? Why wouldn't that be the first (laughs) thing you think of? I see a squid and I see copper plates embedded in elastic polymers. And then by stretching those elastic polymers out and then getting different elastic polymers, or sorry, different copper reflection, you can actually change how much temperature is contained within something. So researchers came up with this whole concept of using copper plates embedded in elastic polymer, and then if they stretch them out to different lengths, it will change the properties of how much heat it retains. So you think, well, normally if I'm doing something with hot food or coffee, I just want it to retain that heat as much as possible. But you know when you get those things that are hot food and you get it out and you need the warning sign on there to say, careful, this is hot, (laughs) or you get food maybe on an aeroplane, for example, and it's so hot that you can't possibly touch it, So researchers have got this concept where they can actually stretch it out to change the heat properties, the heat retention properties of it, for certain amounts of time. So, for example, you could say, I need my coffee to be at 80 degrees Celsius in 10 minutes' time when it goes through and gets delivered to someone. So you stretch it out to a certain spot on there and say it's going to drop 
15 degrees in 10 minutes and there you go. And so by the different stretchiness of the material, you change how much heat it might retain. Same mm. with pizzas or same with food deliveries. So just by having those different components there, stealing these ideas from nature, we can actually change the heat properties of whatever it is we might need to be using. I assume that the copper is typically used for the reflection of that heat, so you're keeping the heat within. But by having them embedded in that elastic polymer, you're changing the gaps that you might have between the copper and then therefore getting different heat properties with this substance. So it sounds really clever to me. It sounds something like I'm keen to see the final product because it sounds like a whole bunch of things could go wrong in all of that. So getting that final product and seeing how it actually works in practical terms, I'm pretty excited to see that. Yeah, that'll be exciting indeed. When you're the leader of a major global power with access to nuclear weapons, day-to-day life becomes, uh, well, different. You get a different set of risks, let's say. Indeed, ducking down the main street to pick up some groceries or even just travelling to and from work requires a vehicle with a little more protection than your standard airbags and an anti-locking braking system. So, Matt, just what sort of James Bond armoury does Vladimir Putin require when he's cutting laps of the main street? And I am sure he got the ideas from just watching a few James mm, Bond movies. Because of course, Q had good ideas. That's right, Q had good ideas, and some of them were real. Most of them were just movie effects. But Vladimir obviously said to his engineers, well, they could do it on James Bond, so why can't you do it on my car? But he did it with a much, much thicker um, Russian accent there. He did, he yeah. did much thicker than that. I can't do the Russian accent, <laughs> I'm sorry. So he's got a car, about $1.7 million, so it doesn't seem like much in the whole scheme of things. Surely he could have spent more on it than that. It's seven tonnes it oh, weighs. Wow. Now, why do you need a car that's seven tonnes? Because, first of all, you want all the metal to be not just sheet metal, not just aluminium. You want some pretty heavy armoured plates there. So if someone you launches... You be able to drive through walls. Well, I just more think someone launching something at you, you know, <laughs> some missile or guns or whatever. Gotcha. But, of course, there's glass there. And so glass seems like that might be the weak point, but not in this car because you've got six-inch glass that can withstand, well, most of the things they try and wow. shoot at the armour plating as well. So you can sit there and smile behind the glass. In James Bond movies, it seems like it's only about a centimetre thick and it does the same thing. You can have people unload the entire magazine and their machine gun into the glass and James just sits in the car smiling. But this one's got six-inch glass to reflect it. Now, one thing that I absolutely guarantee has come from a James Bond movie is if this goes underwater, it can seal the car up completely and it's got its own oxygen tanks inside the car. It becomes a submarine. Almost, Um. almost. It will withstand, it will float to the, or not float, it will sink to the bottom and it won't, well, seven tons is that? That's right. It's, yeah, yeah. it's not going to have the little wings that pop out the side. Which James Bond is that? Where the car goes right. into the water and then the the wheels fold under and little wings come out and it'll off it come goes. To me. It'll come to me. Yeah. yeah. Was it so the spy who loved me? I think anyway. one of those. It doesn't quite do that, but it can drop to the bottom of the water and stay there for hours with Vladimir sitting in there having a lovely conversation, maybe smoking a cigarette if he wants to. Maybe not so much smoking a cigarette, <laughs> but, but but oxygen is then fed into the car and it's completely sealed, so it can withstand several. I'm not sure exactly how deep, but it can withstand falling into a fairly deep amount of water and still be completely sealed. So you think it's gone off the bridge, we've pushed that car off the bridge and it's gone to the river or whatever, that's it, that's the end for Vladimir. But no, a few hours later, someone goes down if they want and they can rescue Vladimir and bring him out. Provided someone wants to rescue him. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Some of his friends might be be going, what's the time frame? How long can that last underwater for? We better be busy for the next three hours. That same concept 
is used to withstand a chemical attack. So if, for example, someone launches some chemical attacks, and you would normally assume that a car has some intake, some air intake, mm. so they're bringing in air from the outside of the car into the inside of the car. If they've got some sort of noxious chemical, then that's probably going to bring it inside. But no, those same oxygen tanks can pressurise the car so that it pushes air outside. Mm. So if there's a chemical attack, they can keep breathing lovely oxygen inside the car and it pushes all those chemicals outside the car and they wow. don't come in to get dear Vladimir. It's got some standard things. It's got run flat tyres. You'd expect that because you'd shoot out the tyres, wouldn't you, if that was one of the things you wanted mm. to do. No big deal there. Although they'd have to be pretty impressive because at seven tonnes, they probably have to have a little bit stronger run flat tyres than yeah. your average run flat tyres. It's got night vision cameras on there. It's got just uh, the, the favourite part, I think, of all of those bits there is, and again, this is probably more Mission Impossible, it's got an emergency exit underneath the boot. So I'm sure there's one of the Mission Impossible movies where someone parks over a sewage drain oh, and then yeah. they come and destroy the car and they look inside and, oh, no. There's no Vladimir. There's no Vladimir inside there. And so if they park it over a sewage drain, he can just, you know, pop out underneath the boot, move the little plate underneath there and away he goes and the car can be completely destroyed and Vladimir is laughing from down in the sewage somewhere. Sure. <laughs> so it sounds like a car that's over the top. The only thing that I'm really disappointed about, it sounds like a good fun car to have, but the only thing I'm disappointed is the way it's driven, the the power source for it is a 4.4 litre V8. Now, I don't know if that sounds like quite enough power to shift a seven-ton car along at any sort of decent pace, mm. but surely electric, surely with all that weight, you could have put some batteries on there, some decent batteries in there, and had a decent performance vehicle out of something that's that heavy and that big, seven metres long as well. So it's a big vehicle. A, a bigger hole in the boot, perhaps, to uh, to escape more of your family out there uh, faster. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So anyway, 4.4 litre V8. I don't think it's going to win any drag races there, trying to shift all that weight along with that. But anyway, that's the car. Not sure how many of them they've got. Maybe they've got one at each place that he might fly into. I know with the president's car, they normally, if he's flying somewhere and they need a car, they have to fly the car in as well. Mm. But it'd make more sense just to fulfill these, wouldn't it, in different spots around. And he flies in somewhere and they have his car ready for him. There's a lot of trust required there. <laughs> <laughs> And so before we say too much more and attract the attention of the KGB and friends, uh, we better call it up there, I reckon. We don't, ha- <laughs> we don't want the hassle of having to clean nerve agent off door handles and such. You, you all get me, I'm sure. Matt, thanks again for putting together another great lineup for this week. I'm off to go and blacken all my windows and install some of those fancy sunrise lighting uh, doodads. And I'm taking it very easy this week to avoid the 6% fatality rate increase with daylight savings. Absolutely. So thanks for the Be careful, folks. That. Be careful. Thank you, people, for tuning in for another week of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. It's been a pleasure delivering the latest and greatest tidbits from the future once again. I'm James Eddy, reminding you to click on the like button, favourite or whatever it is, just click something good, and maybe even let your friends in on the good news as well. Catch you next week.